September. I know it's October. I took the month of September to answer the question, why is it better to gather? As that is really what's driving us this year, that it is better to gather. And I answered that question with three reasons. Because of the one true God. Because Hebrews chapter 1, those first three verses, tell us that He is this one true God. And that He has been about this since we originally broke the original gathering, that good and perfect relationship that we had with Him. And he's been about this all this time, and it's been long and hard. And the principle out of that then is that gathering takes an approach, and it takes more than one, just like our gracious, loving God continues to draw us back to himself. So it's worthy of a year's emphasis, because as a body, we need to build that understanding of who we are gathered in his name. But then I also said that that's important because of the one true faith from Hebrews chapter 10. Because there is a place that you're meant to be. Whether you're searching and have not understood and realized that this loving, gracious God has come to prepare a place for you, to take you there, to on a, in a specific place in time and space, prepare a way, For you to find forgiveness and redemption. He has one place in mind for you. And that is with him forever. And you don't have to hope and wish and try and and, and access it through some kind of work or effort. He's prepared the way. Through his sacrificial death on the cross in Christ Jesus for you. And there's a place he means for you to be. For those of us who have understood that. He is gathering us into one body, into one place to be that one bride, that one spiritual bond that manifests itself in a a physical gathering that we call Bethlehem Church. So because of that one true faith, we ought to be gathering. And also because of that one true family that we looked at last week as we continued in chapter 10. Seeing that God gathers us because the gathering is as much about the process as the goal. It's God's means of changing us, preparing us for that great gathering one day. So we hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess. We consider how we can spur one another on and and help each other grow in this life with Him. And we do not give up meeting together for all of the reasons that He wants to use that to make us more like Himself. But there's one more thing that I want to do as a result of these three reasons why it's better to gather Now that we understand what the clear reasons are, let's do it. Because this will be the one true proof. You see, last week I asked the question, how great is our gathering? And that that ought to change from a question, like how great is our gathering, to a declaration, how great is our gathering? Today I want to ask another question. How how great would it be to gather as they did? What would that mean? To gather as he intended and as his church when he birthed it, did. It's David Crowder that sings, everybody wants to go to heaven, 
But nobody wants to die. Right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's that process of getting there that scares us. Nobody wants to say no to themselves. Nobody wants to walk through pain and difficulty. Well, in that same spirit of the question, everybody wants the perfect church. But nobody wants to pay the price, do the work, and show the proof. And I don't mean nobody, nobody, but we all resist what it takes to be what God truly wants us to be as a body of believers. It was Jesus himself that said, they will know that you're my disciples because of your love one for another. That is the one true proof. And so I'd like to look at what that would mean. I believe it's possible. It is possible to be this body of believers that God wants us to be, truly exhibiting this love of Christ and showing the world the one true proof of how God changes people who are natural enemies into becoming supernatural friends. But it's going to mean a few things. We need to get the basics. We need to get past ourselves. We need to see where we're going. And we need to get the ball rolling. So let me unwrap this a little bit. And I'm going to move through several passages of Scripture this morning. But as I like to say, kind of flying at 30,000 feet over these. We could go deep into them, but of course there isn't time. I just want to move quickly over some passages that will show us what it would take truly for us to show this one true proof of the living, loving body of Jesus Christ. It is possible to do this, first of all, by getting the basics. Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. And here we have the birth of the church. On the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, where God's Spirit fell upon these people and the church was born. And a new people were brought about that could spread throughout the world and transform it as God is still in the process of doing. And describing this church, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, and selling their possessions and goods, they gave to one another as each had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there were four commitments that are real clear that these people did, that verse 42 tells us. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the word of God. They committed themselves to fellowship with each other, to breaking of bread, hospitality, sharing with each other, and to prayer. And in today's language, that means that they learned together, they built relationship together, they served together, and they prayed together. And look at the results of this. They begin to see God at work. They're learning in verse verse 43. They're just in awe of what God is doing. And they're meeting together and developing relationships with each other in verse 46 in their homes. And, And then they're sharing with each other. Somebody had need, they sold to give, to take care of each other as they served each other. And then they're praising the Lord. They're praying together and going, Lord, you're so good. How great it would be to gather as they did. Well, you know what? This is possible because it's practical. It's just that clear. 
This is what it takes. And it's why we're talking about these life groups that I took some time a few minutes ago to describe. We're offering different kinds of them, and not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week as well. And one of these, in fact, is building new life group leaders for the future, because it's important that these four things are things that we're all doing. It's good to gather large, because it's a celebration. It's what God wants us to do as we gather as a body and lift His name in praise, and we hear from the Word, but this isn't enough. Each one of us needs to be connected in smaller locations where we are learning together, where we're praying together, where we're building relationships with people who can help us along in this walk and to whom we can be a help as we help others. And then serving together and making a difference in our own body, in our community, and around the world. It's just that simple. It's that practical. Why isn't the body of believers all that it should be? How are we doing on the four? Where are you in the four? Are you doing the four? It's not rocket science, folks. He made a real simple thing. Gather. Learn from me. Pray. Talk to me. Share with each other. Serve each other. It's just that simple. Oh, yeah, that would be great to do. What do you mean? great to do. Do it. This is possible because it's practical. We can do this. And we're trying to create as many opportunities for that as possible. We give you every month an opportunity to serve. There's list, uh, you know, your community through our food pantry. We're going to be creating more service opportunities. Wait until Harvest Home. You're going to be hearing more about those. Uh, we've got lots of opportunities right now for people to be plugging in in, in children's ministry and adult ministry and youth ministry. Uh, we give opportunities for people to pray together on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday evening. Uh, the ladies meet for prayer on Thursdays. There's life groups I've been talking about. There's opportunities to pray right here on Sunday mornings after the service. Just opportunity after opportunity because these four things need to happen. We're asking you not to eat alone today because it's important. We're building relationships with each other. The opportunities are there, but every one of us has to respond by saying, now how am I going to plug in? to that you see it's possible because it's practical but let me keep moving the 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 difficulty is that it gets personal (laughs) and that's philippians chapter 4 turn with me to philippians i'm sorry philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 and uh as practical as it is um the second thing we got to do we get the basics down and then we got to get past ourselves because this gets rather personal And Paul gets rather personal. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, one in spirit and purpose. And do nothing out of selfish ambition, but make my joy complete Sorry, I was quoting and I've made some mistakes. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, This gets personal because you got to give what you've got. 
And this is a very interesting phrase. He says, if you have any encouragement. This is irony. <laughs> if you got any encouragement. What are you kidding? You're in, united with Christ. You're a child of His. You are a prized possession of God Almighty. You got anything encouraging to say? You will only don't if you don't understand that you are. What do you mean if there's any encouragement? There's lots of encouragement. Any comfort? Are you kidding? He loves you immeasurably. Any fellowship? You have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. Any tenderness and compassion? Is not God all of that to you? You see, you've got to give back what you've received. And then you look at what you have in common. He says, then make my joy complete. Joy is completed when we've found something wonderful and then we share that with someone else so that they can experience the same thing that we have. That's completed joy, isn't it? And that's all Paul wants. Make my joy complete by, by doing this very same thing and experience the same thing that I have. It's these things that we share in common and that's what should bind us together as we exercise this kind of selflessness towards others as Christ was so selfless towards us. And then make another better. Don't act selfishly. That's an initial, immediate, and natural response. But, but rather, think humbly and consider beyond the superficial to what could make another person better. How great would it be to gather as they did? It's possible, but it gets a little personal. You heard about the farmer that uh, wanted to invite a lot of friends over because pastor told him he had to gather, you know, and get people together. So he wanted to invite a lot of friends over for bacon and eggs on a Saturday morning. So he went to his chicken and his pig. Said, next week it's bacon and eggs. See where I'm going with this? Chicken's like, absolutely no problem. I'll work hard all week, get you as many eggs as I can. Pig's not so excited. (laughs) Says to the chicken, easy for you to say. Costs you some pain and difficulty. Costs me everything. Right? But you know what? That is what God asks of us. Everything. Cost him everything to draw you to himself. That gift is free. Except he asks in return everything from you. To be the church of Jesus Christ, yeah, it gets personal. It means we give back everything because he has purchased us. He has redeemed us. We are his. And everything, everything that we are, everything we want to be is his. And all he wants is that back. Now, that leads to a why. Why would I want to make that kind of sacrifice? Well, that's my third point. Let's get where we're going. And now we get to this First Peter chapter 2 passage and what we read in our scripture reading a few minutes ago. First Peter chapter 2. And this is a fascinating study. But looking at the progression here, what you are and what you were and what he wants you to become. Now, what you are 
this word a people is an interesting term. When it's used in the plural in the New Testament, it's, it's uh, synonymous with the word, uh, another word that speaks of the peoples of the world, the ethne, all the peoples of the world. When it's plural, it's synonymous. It's just this mass of peoples around the world. But then the Bible uses it in a singular form. And it means some things in a singular form. First of all, it makes a distinction between the people and the ruling class. It's used that way. So you're commoners, not the ruling class or the ruler. And then it starts to have this special emphasis on the people of Israel. The people, not a part of the ethne. Laos is the term. The Laos, not... Uh, the ethne, not the all the peoples, just a special, specific people. And then that's used for the church when it gets to the New Testament, that there is this special people apart. Ecclesia means taken out of the mass. This is a group called out to be his people. Now, what does all of that mean? You're common people, not special. Not to be distinguished from the rest. You were a part of the ethne. But then, you were distinguished from the rest. And you're not just distinct from them. You are special for a purpose. You were called to be a part of God's possession. You are His possession. His objects of love and value and importance. And that's important to understand who you are because of what you were. You see... Verse 10 says, you were not a people once upon a time. You were lost to the ethne. Not only were you common, you were indistinguishable from the rest that lived under the same curse. You were the ones lost in the mess, living for nothing other than yourselves. And worse yet, you were objects of God's wrath disdain, insignificance, and to be discarded. All of this is true were it not for the grace of God. And that is why we have to understand the truth of the cross, the horrible symbol of execution that this was. This terrible place of torment and pain. God, in order to be favorably disposed towards us, had to do something about his wrath against sin. So we say that God was propitious towards us. I know it's a big word, but let me explain it to you. Propitious means to be favorably disposed towards someone. Pro, it's a positive thing. I want to love you. But because of the fact that we were objects of his wrath and his disdain and insignificance and to be discarded because we had rebelled against him, he couldn't do that unless there was a place for his wrath to rest. And he chose it. He planned it. And he poured it out on a horrible cross. That now he might be able to be propitious towards us, favorably disposed. 
distinguishing us from the rest of the mess. No longer objects of his disdain and insignificance, but rather possessions of value and importance, care and love and concern, reason and purpose and goal to make us all that he would have us to be. Were it not for that place... We are objects of his wrath and his disdain, insignificance to be discarded. But we're not, because he's called us to be a people. Once you were not objects of his mercy, but now you are objects of his mercy. So what you were, and then what you are, And now what you've become, he shows in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You see, what you become is a new person. You're now his and you're strangers to this world that you were in. You're like a new citizen and you don't live like an old one. And then your behavior begins to declare to others the change that's taken place. Because we're such recipients of His blessing. And we cannot be less than transmitters of that same grace so that then those people would then glorify the gracious one. You see, it's possible to be this body of believers because God is working progressively. And that's such good news. He's taken care of the curse on the cross. And He's carefully walking us progressively into this new identity. In a sense, it's positional because we're His. But it's also progressive because He's walking us through a process of becoming more like Himself. And there's encouragement in that. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be in progress. He doesn't expect perfection. He only works you in progression. And that's what's encouraging. You see, originally, it all started in separation in the garden. They sinned against God, and He had to come walking in the garden and say, Where are you? We're hiding over here. We're separated. But then He took one man, and He built him into a nation. And then He birthed a church, and He is working towards a huge gathering of all of these people he is calling out of the ethne to be his own. And in that process is encouragement because you don't have to be perfect. You have to be in process. You have to be growing in progression. So why in the world would I want to do this? Because God wants to move you from there to there. From here to somewhere else. To move you along. To grow you. Well, that's why I'd want to do it. I want to become all that He wants me to be. And then, beyond yourself, to reproduce yourself in others. This is possible because we can get the basics. It's practical. We can do that. We get past ourselves. It's personal. That's true. But we also get where we're going, and it's a progression. So I can live with that. Help me take another step, Lord. And then we get the ball rolling. One last scripture, Second Timothy Chapter 2, verse 2. You notice all the twos today, by the way? The deuces are wild in Acts chapter 2 and 1 Peter 2. And now we get to 2 Timothy 2, 2. 
What a fantastic verse. It's filled with people. Maybe the most crowded verse in all of Scripture. There's a trivia question for you. And the things you've heard me say, Paul's in the picture, you, Timothy's in the picture, in the presence of many witnesses, there's a whole bunch more people in the picture, entrust to reliable men, well now there's even more people in the picture, who would also be qualified to teach other people. Holy smokes, how many people can you fit in a verse? You see the progression here? Started with Paul, who's the perpetrator. He started the whole thing. I told you this. And then Timothy and his many, his many witnesses. Now, I've got to alliterate. So I go from Paul the perpetrator to Timothy and his crowd of people as the Padawans. Doesn't that work? Come on, all you Star Trek. I mean, not Star Trek. Oops. Star Wars people. What was a Padawan? You remember? Here's the definition. I had to look it up this week. A Padawan is a learner, a Jedi apprentice. He was a child or in some cases an adult who began serious training under another to become a Jedi master. All right, forget the Jedi thing. The Padawan is one who is brought along by another to become what that one is. So we have Paul, who's the perpetrator, and then we have Timothy and the witnesses that are the Padawans. They're learning from him. And then they share these things with reliable men. Those are the perpetuators, right? Because then they carry it on to another and then those are reliable to be able to teach others and that's the proliferation and that's the rest of us because paul started it and he gave it to faithful padawans who then uh shared it with other perpetuators we become a part of this proliferation and millions of people around the world today claim christ as their lord and savior because of this crowded verse this process of proliferating the truth of this gracious God who redeemed us, pulled us out of that mass into a people that He gathers for His name that represent and exhibit the love of Christ to all of those around Him for ultimately His glory and His purposes. This is possible because it's reproducible. Because you can be a part of making other people all that God has made you. Can we do any less? How great it would be to gather as they did. We can do that. Everyone wants to be the church of Jesus Christ, but not everyone wants to pay the price. No, we can. And that would be the one true proof it's possible if we'll get the basics if we'll get past ourselves, and yes, that's personal, but why not? And get where we're going. It's a process, and we can progress. And we can get the ball rolling by making this reproducible over and over and over again. Here's the principle for today. A journey is not begun until a step is taken. So we can come up with all the good reasons why God wants us to gather, but if we don't take the step... We're not going anywhere. But we can. We can get going. Because it's practical. It's not rocket science. Oh, it's personal. But if we can get beyond ourselves, then we begin to progress as he wants us to. And then we begin and continue, actually, the proliferation of this message all around this community, this state, this nation, 
this world. Someone shared this with me recently. Randy Wolf is a member of Lynx Fellowship. And he was re- uh, sharing something from Henry Nouwen. He writes, Increasingly in our time, people assume that all that is needed for spiritual growth is Bible study or church attendance or a prayerful walk with God under the shadows or along the banks of his creation. But some issues in life will never be changed by Bible study, church attendance, or even prayer alone. God uses people. 